So the year was uh, 1992. I was 13 years old. And um, the church we were a part of in Goldsboro, uh, they did a traveling music show uh, that we would rehearse for months in advance. It was a little Christian musical called Positive ID. I'm positively identified with Christ. And we would bop along to 80s music. Uh, we would give, give out wooden and contrived dialogue as best we could as little kids. And we would travel up and down the East Coast and go to these little churches around and perform for little congregations and youth groups and stay in people's church members' homes. And one day our youth leader, Tim, he informed us that we would not be performing on that night when we were in Baltimore. But he said, instead, we're going to do a day of faith in Baltimore, downtown Baltimore, like the gritty part of downtown Baltimore. If you've ever been to downtown Baltimore, you know you need a little bit of faith to, to walk around some of those streets, especially in 1992. So we asked him, Tim, where are we going? And he said, I don't know. And we were like, okay, well, what will we be doing? And he said, I don't know. And we came to the obvious conclusion, well, why are we doing this? And he said, to let the Lord lead us today. We're going to let the Spirit lead us in downtown Baltimore and then I thought, how much are we paying this guy? This is your plan for the dangerous streets of Baltimore? Our parents trusted you, man. And this, where's the itinerary? Where's the, where's the schedule? Like, we could go to the Inner Harbor and eat a crab cake sandwich. But it was amazing. We ended up going to a homeless shelter and serving food and cleaning up an alley outside of the shelter and staining a playground equipment that was really old and picking up trash. And I'd never done anything like that before. I was 13 years old. We prayed with random people on the street. It was so powerful. One uh, older high school girl with us, and and with tears in her eyes, that night said, because of that day, she was going to go into ministry because of that day. It was incredible. The Spirit had lit the fire. And by God's grace, we had provided the fuse. And thanks to Tim, we provided the fuse. And so the next night performance, we carried our resurgent faith with us, that we'd, we'd stepped out in faith and let the Spirit lead us and done incredible things that we hadn't expected that day. And so the next performance, we got ready for that night. And I remember in our hotel room, Tim prayed a prayer uh, that I still remember, and he said, Lord, if we can reach one person tonight, it will be worth it. And I remember that that line jumped out to me, and it stuck with me, and we we got up that night, and we we did our dialogue, we did our dancing, you know, and our little show, and our dialogue, and all the things we had rehearsed, and the, the youth group did what you would expect youth groups to do. They laughed at us, and they elbowed each other, and they giggled, and you just grin, and you get through it. But in the back of the room, I noticed a kid was leaning against the wall and he was just looking at us the whole time and he never said anything. He didn't laugh. And you you could tell that something was churning within him. And then that night when we were back at our hotel, he called us. He called our room and said, I want to let you know that what you said tonight has changed my life. Literally, it was incredible. But it was just this this attitude of when you're obedient to the Spirit, you're giving room for the Spirit to do something. You're, giving, you're creating the atmosphere or the culture, if you will, 
for the Spirit to move. And, and you're, not, you're, not, you're not orchestrating him out of the equation. That it's one thing to talk about being a person of faith, to listen to God in prayer, to, uh, to, trust, to trust God. It's another thing altogether to fully give him space to do what he wants and to, to bear fruit when he moves in the, in the ways that he wants to move. We need to be growing more and more into a faith that moves, a faith that's active, that's led by the Spirit, that expects God to do great things outside the church walls, to be obedient to what he wants to do and then bear fruit, that he alone will bear through us in our faithfulness. And you see this in Acts chapter 16. It's not necessarily a passage that's literally about prayer, but you know that they're praying the whole time that they're going through this as we read these verses. And I put up a map. Go ahead and put the map up. Because hopefully you can see part of this. Hopefully I can see part of this. Um, on the right-hand part of your screen, like when you read a verse in Acts chapter 16, and it's like, and then they went to, well, that's like hundreds of miles, okay? <laughs> when you read it on the page, you think it's not very far. But when, when, when they get up into Asia, what's called Asia there, um, which is now modern-day Turkey, uh, that's the part of land that we're going to be going through. When Paul and Silas joined together, Paul and Timothy joined together, it's going to be in that ark. And then when they go from Troas up to Samothrace and then up to Philippi, they literally have to sail on a boat to get up there. So I just want to give you that context when we're reading this to see the amount of distance and faith and, and really difficulty that, well, that's happening here. And as we're going to read, the Holy Spirit tells Paul and uh, Silas and the other people traveling with them to avoid all of those churches south of them in what's called Asia. All seven of those churches are what's mentioned in the book of Revelation when Jesus gives uh, really judgments against each of those churches. And the Spirit of God says, don't go down there. I, wa I want you to go this way. Okay? And th they had no idea why. They, in the moment, they had no clue why the Holy Spirit told them not to go uh, where. Well, we're going we're gonna to get into that. So here's Acts chapter 16. And I'm going to read this and keep the, keep the map up there. Because you're going to see these names pop up as I read these. So then they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they had come opposite Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them either. So passing through Mysia, they went to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision. So at this point, they're on the western coast of what we would call Asia there. They had a vision. There stood a man of Macedonia pleading with him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. When he'd seen the vision, we immediately tried to cross over to Macedonia, being convinced that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. We set sail from Troas and took a straight course to Samothrace, the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate by the river, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to a woman who had gathered there, not, now, now they're in Philippi. A certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. She was from the city of Thyatria and a dealer in purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. So this is what happened. So they're obedient to the Spirit, and what happens to them on the front end is that the doors that they expected to go walk through get closed. 
And why would, why would the Holy Spirit do that? Why would, you would think when you're going out to be led by the Spirit, you just kind of go wherever you want and, and you don't have to listen twice. But you see this frequently in the book of Acts where, um, for example, someone like Stephen, he's having a really a, an amazing ministry. Great things are happening. People are being healed. Hundreds of people are coming into the church that's being developed through his ministry. And then, and then the Holy Spirit says, no, go, leave. And he sends him somewhere else. And it's counterintuitive, but he obeys. Paul and Silas, they're doing great things. They're healing people. Lives are being transformed. Don't go to Asia. Just avoid it altogether. Why? Don't people there need to know about Jesus too? Just do it. And so then they have a, they have a vision, but, but these doors get closed. See, one of the great things about discernment, spiritual discernment, is not just knowing where you should go or what you should do with your life. Half the battle is knowing not is knowing where you should not go, what you should not do. Um, Paul and Silas and the apostles, when they pray, when they're walking in faith, it's not just something they're overtly doing all the time. It's almost as natural as breathing in, in these, these accounts that you're reading that it's this willingness to obey no matter what may come. And you might be asking, how do you, how do, you do that? How do you feel the Holy Spirit like that? And sometimes we're very analytical in our postmodern culture. We can really overthink spiritual things. Sometimes it's just as simple as feeling an inward impression of the Spirit, the still, quiet voice. It's not over the top, but it is persistent. Like, for example, I may have told the story a few years ago. If you're staying at church long enough, you start to recycle things, unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, some of you have not heard this story. My friend John, in college, uh, like a lot of college kids, didn't have a lot of money. But he had a really old, beat-up truck, just a real piece uh, just a beater of a truck, but that was his only ride. And one day I see John, and he's walking uh, to class. I'm like, John, where's your truck? He said, well, I gave it away. And I said, why'd you do that? He said, because God told me to. And then I asked, natural question, well, how did you know God told you to give it away? And he's, he, then he did a very Jesus thing to me. He answered my question with a question. He said, how do you know when God tells you to do something? Touche, touche. Sometimes you can overthink it. Sometimes if the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you, God is big enough to make it clear. God is powerful enough to make it clear to you when you should or should not do something. When you shouldn't, really, what do you know what you ought to do? That we have this image of God implanted on every human soul. We call it conscience. I think it's still, it's that still voice of God helping guide our lives. And you can ignore all that. That's a dangerous thing to do repeatedly, but you can. But the more you obey that, the, the easier it gets. It becomes almost like second nature. And that's what you see happening here with Paul and Silas. They have, they're, they're, they've submitted their movements to the direction of the Spirit. They don't make plans and then inform God of what he should be doing. <laughs> right? There's a big difference there. No, they're subservient to their desires, and it's precisely because of their obedience, because of their subservience to the Lord, that they are then able to maybe even receive a vision to go to Macedonia and do this work in Philippi. So they knew they weren't just praying into a nameless void. They're not just 
taking a guess and a stab at it. It's this intimate dance of the Lord and them leading them. And every step is taking is a step of faith that they're walking in. And yeah, it can be disconcerting, like I did on the streets of Baltimore. But it's thrilling, isn't it? It's like, it's like that first step of faith you take, it's, it's scary. I remember when I got called to go into a seminary, and I knew I needed to go somewhere, and I narrowed down my choices over a long period of time, and it ended up being Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary in Charlotte, and I was clear I needed to go there that fall in September. Well, it was, like, it was already like May or June, so I enrolled. I didn't have enough money. I didn't know where I was going to live. Okay, and so you just, you just go, and, you, and I go, and I did it, and then through that obedience, he provided everything I needed later on down the road, but I couldn't see all of that. See, sometimes we need to know that the word faith can come across to some people as a weak phrase or weak word, but it's really not. If we're operating in faith, what it means is, is that we're being led. If you're operating in faith, it means that the Holy Spirit is leading you. So if you're, if you're, if you're making decisions, not blind faith, but in God's promises and God's character, it means that you're moving in the right direction because it means he's leading you, even if it might feel counterintuitive to you at the time. So in the spiritual life, the spirit always flows through obedience. It is an open channel that he always works through. It's, it, there's a mystery to that, but that's, that's just how he works. And as, as Methodists, experiencing the spirit should be normative for us. One gift of Wesleyan theology for the church is this theology of experience. And for too long, the Spirit, um, experiencing the Holy Spirit, has been put on the back burner. It's been seen as sort of a, something as shame or embarrassment. That's something Pentecostal people do. We don't need to talk about that. But the New Testament is full of it. It's full of obeying the Spirit. Paul, John, Peter, they, they all are thinking in this way. That is, that is how the Christian, and that's, what, that's really what the world wants to see, is it? isn't it? They want to see a faith in our churches that's real, that we're experiencing God. That's what people are hung, hungry for, that, that we can encounter the Holy Spirit. Methodists believe that the Spirit can be felt like we read here in Acts chapter 16. And I know what you're thinking, hey, I've been to some Methodist churches where I wasn't sure anybody was feeling anything. And that might be true. It depends on every other church. But the Spirit moves wherever he pleases, like the wind. But it is through obedience that he moves. It is through obedience that he's then, okay, I can work with that. Because you're giving, you're, you are being an open conduit or a channel. And we've been in church services, I'm sure many of us have, I have too, where they were powerful and they were great, and someone says, God really showed up today. And, you, and that's true. God did show up. But also, the people showed up. The people showed up with an expectation and, an, and a willingness to be obedient to the Spirit's movement. So Methodists, we believe that the Spirit can be felt. Even more audacious, we believe the Spirit should be felt. Because it's, I don't want to be a part of a church that trades, my, that trades my heart for my head and has only a rationalistic experience to what's going on. I want to encounter God. And you want to encounter God. We want to feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. This is what God wants for his church. This is God's will for his church. The Spirit 
can bear witness to our souls in real and personal ways. For Wesley, this meant that if you show up to church, even if unwillingly you get dragged in the door, you are giving the Spirit free reign to poke and prod at your life in good ways, to experience this. John Wesley would ask this question to his friends frequently, and I love this. He would ask them, is Christ real to you? How? Tell me a story. And he loved to check in with people and hear from them, how are you encountering the Holy Spirit in your life? I'm a part of a Wesleyan band meeting that meets with other uh, pastors I'm friends with, and we'll ask each other those classic Wesleyan questions of how is it with your soul? Do you have any sins to confess? It's like a soul support group, really. It's great. It's really what we need to do. We're going to be growing that even more and more here. And But you ask another question is, how has the Spirit been moving in your life? That's one of the questions. And it's wonderfully affirming for other people to pray for you, to say, that's great. I can speak into um, what you've been experiencing. I can help guide your life in this way. So you see this work of being obedient to the Spirit. And that's through that obedience, Paul and Silas, I wouldn't say they bear fruit, the Spirit bears fruit through these men in Acts chapter 16. Because what happens after in Acts chapter 16? If you keep reading down this chapter, the church in Philippi begins. This is how churches start. The Holy Spirit brings people together, heals them, directs them, blesses them, and that's how churches start. For example, Clemens United Methodist Church, where I came from, that's one of the oldest Methodist churches in the United States. It was started like in 1781. Francis Asbury came by on a horse, got some people together for a Bible study, church, and it still exists today. And this is what's happening here in Philippi. Paul and Silas, they see this woman named Lydia, and they pray with her. Paul shares the gospel with her, and she converts to Christ in that moment. If you keep reading 16, Paul and Silas are walking along down the road, and this little, little girl who's possessed by a demon chases after them day after day and says, these are servants of the Most High God, day after day. Paul eventually gets irritated, it says. He gets annoyed with her and says, Spirit, come out of her. And she gets healed and delivered. Well, then the men who own her are very upset because they were making her, or she was making them a lot of money uh, for telling the future. And so then Paul and Silas get thrown in jail. Now, you could be thinking, well, that sounds pretty, the Spirit led them to get thrown in jail. But what do Paul and Silas do? They don't get angry. They don't get bitter. They don't blame their circumstances. They begin to sing hymns, and the Holy Spirit turns a jail cell into a worship service. Or an earthquake hits the, the, the jail. Walls fall down. All the prisoners get, get set free. That's a great metaphor as well. The jailer is so overcome by what he experiences, he falls on his knees before Paul and says, what do I need to do to, to be saved? Then Paul says, repent and believe in the gospel and be baptized. And they baptize him. And then the, the jailer and his whole family become the church. So you have a wealthy woman named Lydia that deals in very expensive cloth, a girl that was possessed by a demon, uh, a jailkeeper and his family. Welcome to the church of Philippi. This is the church of Philippi. As the Spirit led Paul and Silas the Spirit provided, even when they encountered physical resistance to ministry, physical issues, Paul and Silas never looked at those as the problem. Our battle 
is not against flesh and blood, right? Our battle is against principalities and powers. There are people in the United Methodist Church that I might disagree with theologically. They are not my enemy. They are not my problem. My problem is against principalities and strongholds, forces of evil in this world that are tearing down lives and leading them away from Christ. Those are my enemy. Those are the things that I battle against in prayer, and you and I do too, and in fasting. But when we give an open conduit for the Spirit to move, this is a great way to put it. The fruit of the Spirit grows only in the garden of obedience. I have just started growing a garden. Um, I've got squash and tomatoes and herbs and all sorts of things. And I realized after years of failing at a garden, I realized what I was doing wrong. The garden was in way too much shade. I just didn't have it. It was all mossy and it was not working out. See, when you put the seeds in the right place, they grow and they bear fruit. The fruit of the Spirit grows in the garden of obedience. And as Paul and Silas have been obedient, you see this fruit coming through. Here's the thing about obedience, though. When we talk about obedience, a lot of Americans today, they really don't want to hear, some of them might not want to hear about obedience to the Spirit, which is kind of sad, because that's precisely what people need to hear the most. Many people believe that freedom is an absence of obedience. People, some people believe that freedom is the ability to, do, to not be obedient to anyone or anything. Many falsely believe that freedom is found in being obedient to self-desire and self-fulfillment. Freedom has come to be defined as the absence of any limitations or any constraints on our lives. And by definition, as this logic goes, the fewer boundaries we have on our choices, the freer we feel ourselves to be. I would argue with you that that is wrong, that that narrative is wrong, and it does damage to your life, actually. Modern freedom, people would tell you, is the freedom of self-assertion. You're free to do your ever, whatever you want. But when you define freedom that way, and therefore obedience, you are working toward an impossibility. You need some kind of moral norm or constraint in which to guide your life, to be obedient to something in your life. Everyone is marching to some beat. We are, we are allegiant to someone or something. If you want to live for Christ, you have to be obedient to him. You have to be obedient to his spirit. And the beauty of that is when we are obedient to him, he will work through our lives in miraculous ways. He is the king. He is the Lord. You and I are not. I'll close with this. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus teaches some curious things about obedience and, and, and therefore um, freedom. And he says this, come to me, all of you, a lot of you have heard this, come to me, all of you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and, I, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, this was an agrarian society. A yoke, as many of you might know, is something you put over the head of an animal to direct its paths, right? An ox, for example, or a mule. So you put in a yoke. So Jesus is saying, let me lead you. 
take my direction upon your life. If you will do that, I will take my burdens off of you. I will direct your paths. You, everyone on the face of the earth right now, is obedient to someone or something. So why not let Christ do the leading? That's what he is saying. If you let me lead you, I will give you a light burden. You will find rest with my yoke upon you. I will direct and lead your life in ways that you maybe did not expect, and it will feel counterintuitive. But if you're walking in faith, you're walking in the right direction because it means that I'm leading you. And through that, you will find thrilling experiences of the Holy Spirit through the obedience that you offer to him. I'm going to say a prayer, and after I pray, we're going to sing a song called Oceans that was sort of all the rage a few years ago. And that we chose this song because the lyrics of this perfectly get at what this whole passage is about. Spirit, lead me to where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you may call me. And as we sing this song, I want you to, I pray that you feel free. I pray that you feel free to express yourself. I pray that you feel free to come pray up here if you want to, to pray wherever you are. And to say, God, Lord, we are, we are willing to be obedient to, the, to your spirit today. Let's pray. Lord, indeed, I, we thank you, Lord, that you are always at work. And that your spirit's presence can and will move through the obedience of our choices. And I thank you for the many saints in this room who are doing that. And God, that we don't always get it right. There's areas in our lives we all fall short. God, we bring to you our weaknesses. And I pray, Holy Spirit, give us your strength. God, we give to you our ignorance. And pray, Spirit, you give us your wisdom. God, we bring to you our brokenness. And pray that you give us your healing. Lord, I thank you that you remember that we are all but made of dust. You know that we are frail, but that your love transcends all of that. Lead us in Holy Spirit, not on this, this moment, but all the days of our lives.